You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Excited this morning to continue our, our series called The Jesus Church. The Jesus Church, and I really sense in my heart that God wants to give us a fresh perspective of his intentions for the church. God's got a really high opinion of the church. And many times I find myself, and as I have conversations with others, adopting an opinion about the church that's not Christ. His plan is to to unfold this redemptive plan for humanity, and he uses the church to redeem people, to bring them back to himself. And we have to believe that in our hearts. We have to have faith that God wants to use church big C in our church as we contend to be a Jesus church, that God wants to use us for big things. We have to have faith to believe that. We can't have it any other way. One of the primary illustrations to help us understand God's heart for the church is this illustration in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, of the church being a bride. That's the description. You and I together, redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are a beautiful, glorious, powerful bride. That is, that's the picture in, in Scripture. But as, I've, as I did camp, campus ministry for several, several years, and now as I'm a pastor of this church, I do have conversations with people from time to time, and, and it's becoming a, a common um, even thought process of many millennials today. It's this, this idea that I like Jesus, but I don't so much care for the church. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for the Jesus guy historically, and I, I respect his authority, his ministry, this just radical lover of people. But the church, I don't get it. So I don't like the church, but I like Jesus. And I want to just propose to you this morning that we can't have it uh, either way. It's not multiple choice. We can't have it either way. We have to accept both Jesus and his plan for the church. At the same time, I've said it now over the last couple of weeks, we don't have to condone all that the church has uh, carried out of the last number of centuries of scandals and violence and legalism and hypocrisy. I don't for a second condone that or affirm that. That's not Jesus' plan. It'd be like someone coming to me and saying, hey, Drew, I really like you, but I don't so much care for your wife. I I like you, but I I don't like her. I wouldn't be angry at the person. I wouldn't hate the person, but I can tell you there'd be a limit to our relationship. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be hanging out all too often. Like, she comes with the package. She's my wife. She's, she's my best friend. You know, I've loved her since the third grade. So I, I just love her. And so it comes with the package. So it is in our pursuit of Christ. He, we are his bride, his beautiful, glorious bride, and it's messy at times. It's an imperfect church, but he's making us into his likeness. And I want us to just in a fresh way, capture that perspective, the perspective of heaven, as you and I together as a beautiful, glorious bride that he's returning for, that he's coming back for. That's the form that he's, he's returning for us in as a beautiful, glorious bride. So the title of my message this morning is The Uncomfortable Church. The Uncomfortable Church. And I'm not talking about the seats you're sitting in or the kind of coffee that we serve or the friendly smiles you see at the doors. I'm not talking about creating an uncomfortable church, but I am talking about us rethinking about what it means to really follow Jesus together. Because I do feel like in modern Christianity, and specifically in the, in West, in the Western worldview, we've adopted a form of comfortable Christianity. 
that is in opposition to the purity of the gospel, the purity of what it really means to follow Jesus. So our big idea for this morning is that the Jesus church is an uncomfortable church, constantly being compelled to the places that need the love of Christ. The Jesus church is an uncomfortable church. We're not going to turn off the AC this summer and make you just suffer. I'm not talking about this morning searching out discomfort. But I'm, I'm talking about us embracing wholeheartedly our roots of discomfort and suffering through the centuries. And then the call for us to pursue Jesus no matter the consequences. Pain or suffering, difficulties, trials, discomfort. Because it will come as a result of just obedience to Jesus Christ. And we can't have it any other way, actually. And so let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look, continue this look at the early church and how this story began to unfold 2,000 years ago, this story of the church. In Acts chapter 8, we find ourselves about a year past Jesus' ascension. So this is about a year into the, the beginnings of the church. Scholars estimate this time to be around Passover, if you, if you recall, Jesus gave his life on Passover, during Passover. So this is about a year past Jesus' death and his ascension. But something, a stirring begins here in Acts chapter 8. Well, actually, in Acts chapter 7, and so we're right in the midst of it. A persecution begins upon the church. And the very first Christian martyr gave his life, Stephen, a man, Stephen, a humble man of God. The scripture says he was full of the Holy Spirit. This man in the, in the church in Jerusalem, he'd serve tables to widows. He did his part. He was part of the team, part of the family of God. It wasn't a glorious job, but in that he was so full of the Holy Spirit, so much so that signs and wonders followed him. And it ended up costing him his life. So let's just pray before we read Acts chapter 8. Lord, give us grace to receive what you'd have for us this morning. I know right off the bat, our hearts don't cling to a message about discomfort. And so, God, I just pray you'd give us receptive hearts and minds just to receive the, 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 the truth that you have for us this morning. How we can have fresh vision to see future in light of what you paid for, the price, the high price that you paid for us, and your plan to use us on the earth, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our families. That is your plan for us. So I pray that we would just give it a chance this morning. Give us grace in your mighty name. Amen. So I want you to understand that up until this point, the church, although it's been growing, it's just been flourishing, thousands of people coming to know Christ, the church had been confined to Jerusalem up until this point for seven chapters. And not only had it been confi confined mostly to Jerusalem, but it had been confined to Jews encountering Christ and then leading their Jewish friends to Jesus. So it's been confined culturally and geographically, although thousands are coming to know Christ. And I pray for that day here in Ames. But let's just read this. This is right after Stephen gave his life. It says, Acts chapter 8, and Saul approved of his execution. That's Saul who will soon become Paul. He's not a main player in the rest of this story, but for, for context sake, that is the great apostle Paul uh, who, is, who will soon encounter Christ. But he stood there and approved of the first Christian uh, death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Stop right there for a moment. This this stirring began in the church, the stirring of discomfort, of persecution. It began with Stephen, but scholars estimate in the the days and weeks following, this persecution, over 2,000 people gave their lives in the name of Christ. House to house, putting people in prison, killing some. And I want us in our hearts to associate with that. That is our roots. Those are our roots as a church. It's men and women, families, children that sacrificed great, suffered greatly for the good news of Jesus Christ. We should associate with them. I know we live in a different era, we live in a different day, but there are many around the globe who give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should be brothers and sisters standing by their side saying, we, all, we suffer together. The pain that you feel, we feel. We want to suffer alongside our brothers and sisters. None of us are exempt from this. If we're going to follow Jesus, discomfort will, will come our way. So this morning, as we unpack Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 25. As we unpack this, there's three types of discomfort that I just want to present to you that I feel like as Christ followers we need to embrace. And, and the first type of discomfort is the discomfort of following. The discomfort of following. Inherent in following a master and Lord is discomfort because we all want to call the, our own shots. It's always com- more comfortable to be in control, to call the own, our own shots in our lives to be the, the masters of our own way, to be the, the Lord of our own destinies. But when we surrender our lives to Christ, he becomes Savior and Lord of our lives. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And what Jesus told us about 2,000 years ago, he begins to rule and reign in our lives. So inherent is that, is, is, is that Jesus is not an accessory in our lives or just a companion on the journey, although he is. He's much more than that. He is our master and our Lord, meaning we are committing our lives to obedience, to follow him no matter the cost. And that's un- that in itself is uncomfortable. Even if the discomfort does not mean blood and pain, the discomfort even may be inside because we have to be obedient to our master. He is now our Lord. We're, we're going to be obedient. So again, we don't go looking for discomfort. I'm not proposing that we go out on the streets and we just ask to be persecuted. I'm saying discomfort will result in following Jesus, period. It will. It is the result of wholehearted obedience to Jesus Christ, is discomfort. And it comes in the forms of sacrificial giving, stepping out of our comfort zone, out of our comfort zone to love somebody different than us. It, it, it means the discomfort of exerting energy for the sake of the kingdom of God. It looks like accountability and community. All those things are uncomfortable. They all come with obedience to our master and our Lord. Jesus is now that when we surrender our lives to him. And Jesus makes that very clear in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the paradox, one, one paradox of the kingdom, is you find life in Christ when you surrender your life. You find freedom when you actually surrender your life to master and Lord. You find true freedom. You find true life. It's a paradox of the kingdom, but, but it's truth. And I just want us to embrace that this morning. Take a moment to embrace that. Not only is our roots in Christianity, but our call today in the 21st century is the discomfort of following. I recalled this week a quote from a leader in the underground church in China. They've experienced an amazing move of God over the last 30, 40 years. Under great persecution, the church has flourished. Millions now coming to know Christ in the underground church in China. But it's become one of my favorite books, a book by the title of The Heavenly Man. It's a biography of uh, a Chinese church leader named Brother Yun. And this is what he said in response to Westerners who said, you know, I wanna, I'm going to pray for the persecution to stop in the Chinese church. He says, don't pray for the persecution to stop. We shouldn't pray for a lighter load to carry, but a stronger back to endure. The world will see that God is with us, empowering us to live in a way that reflects his love and his power. That is the, the mindset of so much of the church in other parts of the world, and it was the mindset of the church here in Acts chapter 8 as they were scattered. Suffering, discomfort, they understood that as part and parcel with following Jesus. Jesus gives us that promise, and I know our hearts resist, and I'm with you. I live a comfortable life, and our hearts resist discomfort, but Jesus gave us this promise. Just cling to this promise for a moment. John chapter 15, verse 20, it says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's not a promise we oftentimes cling to, but we will be misunderstood. Family may reject you. Your friends may not get you. We don't stir that up. That's just a simple result of following Jesus in obedience, him being master and Lord of our lives. A conversation came to mind of a student, an international student that was part of the campus ministry now five or six years ago. We were on a fall retreat down in southern Iowa, and she was really, she came from a closed nation. I won't even say the name of the country, but she, she was born and raised in a, in a Muslim country that's closed to the gospel. It's illegal to be a believer and definitely illegal to proselytize. And she was really wrestling with the truth of Jesus Christ at this retreat. For the first time, she was studying scripture and trying to understand the implications in her own life. And finally, there, was, there came a point where she said, you know, if I surrender my life to Christ, it may cost me my life. That is an implication many Westerners, it never crosses our mind. But for this young lady, it was real. Her family may reject her. Her family may, and it would be approved by her society, they may kill her. They may take her life. I just want us to embrace the discomfort of real obedience to Jesus. And many of our discomforts will pale in comparison to pain and suffering. It's the discomfort of, of following. We've got to count the cost. That's not to earn Christ's favor it's not to earn salvation. That's just the result of humble obedience. Let's keep reading in verse 4 as this, this scattering begins through persecution. Let's see where it leads them. It leads them, it says, they, they were now scattered. They went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I love that phrase, there was joy in the city. That was the descriptor of the theme over that city. There was joy, which is ironic given the circumstances. Here were ones proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of their own suffering. I can imagine that Philip himself had lost friends, maybe even family. And yet in the midst of that, he was being sent out into a region, which I'll describe the region of Samaria in a moment, but he was sent to to Samaria, and it was in that place he brought about joy. So his own sacrifice, his own discomfort for the sake of others. I love that, that irony. Joy over the city. And so, so many times for us in our city, when we're led into uncomfortable situations, new territories, out of our comfort zone, yes, we're uncomfortable, but if it's for the sake of the joy of others. And so the second discomfort I want us to embrace as a church, as a Jesus church, is the discomfort of bold opportunities. Now let me just describe to you this bold opportunity that was before the church here. These were bold new regions for the church. Samaritans and Jews, they were, they were, there was always this contention between Samaritans and Jews. It dated back over a thousand years prior. Neither one thought they had it quite right. There's a lot of racism and, and stereotyping that went, went uh, both ways. And so Jews, they did not even want to associate with Samaritans, have conversations with them. And I could imagine Philip being a, a great Jewish guy, grew up in a household where his parents probably talked poorly of Samaritans. He probably had friends, and maybe even himself, he harbored this this, uh, this racism and this stereotyping of what he thought Samaritans were like. They call them half-breeds. They had it like half-right. Their, their ancestry de- uh, draws from a period where Jews began to intermarry with other nations. And so the peer Jews saw these Samaritans as half-breeds. And yet here in this moment, you can tell this is a work of the Holy Spirit birthing this in the church. There's this moment where the Holy Spirit sends them out because of persecution. And Philip is willing to go into these uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable regions for the sake of love. These are those bold opportunities. To go and do things that, that require courage. It's a little, there's unknowns involved of what it's going to be like. But that's what the good news of Jesus is constantly doing. It's constantly pushing us towards these bold opportunities. Just think about that verse I started with at the very beginning of my message, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He describes the church. He says, I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's, that's what he says. I will not prevail, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, against us, against the church. That means the, the gates of hell are on the defense. We're on the offense. It's not the other way. He doesn't say, I'm going to build my church and you're going to be a great hideaway refuge fortress from the world on the defense. Your your gates are going to be so strong and mighty, the forces of Satan will not prevail against you. No, we're on the offense, we're on the winning team, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the Jesus church. That means we're always going to these bold new places, new territories, tearing strongholds down, 
taking these territories that the enemy has bound for generations. The, this, that's the discomfort of bold opportunities. And Philip was willing, and, and the church here in, in Acts chapter 8 was willing to go to these places that required courage, it required faith, to see things not as they are physically, to see beyond it, to see them as people that Christ died for. Philip see, saw the, the crucified Jesus risen again, and he's willing to see Jesus' sacrifice and then see people in light of that. The spaces, the places, and the people that desperately need Christ. So Jesus is calling us. And I feel like this summer, this is on my mind, specifically this week we've been really in the, the thralls of planning a big outreach for this summer called Family Fun Fest. For us, Family Fun Fest is an opportunity to boldly love our city. Last year we had over 600 people come to Family Fun Fest. And I feel like it's outreaches like this that get us out of the walls of our church, that present a bold, courageous opportunity for our church to, to represent Jesus in a context that, that most people are not expecting. Many people need a fresh uh, connection with the church. Their, their opinion of the church is based on their experiences or what they see on TV, which is not always a great representation, or whatever it is. And it's opportunities like this summer Family Fun Fest where people can get a fresh connection with real people that love Jesus and that can represent him in, humbly in, a, in an accurate way. And again, we're not a perfect church, but as we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, his presence will be experienced in a real way that transforms lives. And Family Fun Fest is going to be fun. So it's going to be easy for people to experience the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a, a rock climbing wall and inflatables and food trucks and um, it's just going to be a ton of fun, and so continue to pray for that. The discomfort of us investing money into it, of us giving of our energy, it takes so much planning and, and energy and preparation to pull it off, us pushing the envelope of our creativity. If we, if we contend for great things to happen in our city, it's going to push us to bold new places in our creativity, even in events. We don't have to reproduce the status quo we don't have to replicate what other people are doing. God wants to give us a fresh vision, even for Family Fun Fest, for our city. It can be one of a kind. That's the discomfort God is calling us to, his bold opportunities. I remember a season several years ago here in our church where we, had, we took the initiative to begin walking through our neighborhoods here and just going home to home asking if anyone would have any prayer requests. And we had some amazing conversations. We weren't peddling them anything or, or handing them tracts or anything. We were literally just saying, hey, do you have anything you'd want prayer for? And it was amazing to see the conversations that opened up through a simple request of prayer. Most people don't turn down prayer. But I remember a conversation we had just down the street from the church here with a young lady, with a, not a young lady, a lady, middle-aged lady that said right off the bat, I don't want prayer, I'm an atheist. And we're like, okay. And we just started a conversation with her. And, and before we knew it, after 10 or, 15, 10 or 15 minutes, this lady just began to open up her life. She invited us into her home, and she ended up inviting us into her backyard, showing us her garden. And in the backyard there, we got to pray with that lady. And we started a relationship with her, and she said, you know, why don't you come back? Maybe all these young people, why don't you come and uh, serve in, in my garden, help me out in my garden? And a relationship was started. That's a, a bold opportunity to step out and have a conversation literally with somebody just down the street from us. 
But how often do we pass by these types of opportunities because of the excuse of discomfort? That's what Christ is calling us to. It's the discomfort of bold opportunities. Let's keep reading because there's a great story here about to unfold. The young man named Simon, he says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. I love that. For a long time, but the story's about to change here. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon knew, he could fool the, the masses, but deep down in his heart, he knew the difference between the power of Jesus and the, the, the power of sorcery and magic. He knew the difference. He encountered it for himself. So now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to catch the distinction in the early church that has been lost in the modern church, the distinction between salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit. But this is the continual pattern. People receive Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside, but there's a, a contention right now for something more, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Says, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So he was confused. He still had some old thinking in him. He thought that somehow he could just obtain this, this power that Philip had. He said, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. And really this begins an amazing move of God. Outside of the confines of Jerusalem and just the Jews, now spreading in to even the Samaritans. But the story of Simon is a beautiful picture of the extent of the good news of Jesus Christ. Extending even to those that are much different than, uh, than us. Simon is influential. He had an authority in his community. People came and they flocked to him. Wanting answers, wanting solutions for their issues. Wanting just to be amazed maybe. Maybe it was just the spectacle of Simon. But then Simon encounters Jesus, and everything changes. He repents. He turns to Christ. He obviously needs a lot of discipleship. He needs to learn the ways of Christ and, and forget the ways of his sorcery. But I believe there's so much from Simon's story that points to this third discomfort that I want us to embrace this morning. It's the discomfort of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is this. And, and Simon understood this. He saw this for a moment. You just need to catch a glimpse of this, and you can surrender your life to it. And Simon did this. The discomfort, or the essence of the gospel, is Jesus taking on the discomfort for the sake of others. That is the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ that Philip proclaimed right here, and Simon caught it. 
That is the essence of the good news that, that Jesus took on discomfort for the sake of love, for the sake of you, for the sake of Simon. And I want us to embrace that. That's why we can't separate ourselves from discomfort. It is the way of the gospel. And it comes from two perspectives. It comes from both the perspective of heaven and from an earthly perspective. Just track with me for a moment. This is Jesus, King Jesus, sits on a throne rightly. He was the one who breathed the universe into being. He was the one who was there at the very beginning when all matter was created, all matter and energy, he was there. He sat on his throne rightly with, with his, with his uh, throne and, and the masses surrounding him, singing praises to him 24 hours a day. And he's willing to step off of that throne to pursue a relationship, to, to make things right with humanity who had made things wrong, who had been in rebellion. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into the discomfort of taking on humanity. That is the discomfort that Jesus took on for you and for me. So from a heavenly perspective, it's uncomfortable, but just consider it now from an earthly perspective because Jesus did not walk around our earth with an entourage of heavenly hosts protecting him. He didn't he didn't drive around in a, in a uh, limo and, and sit in a green room all day long with people fanning him. No, he lived in the dirt, in the muck, in the mire amongst us. They called him the friend of sinners. He loved the rich. He loved the poor. He talked to Samaritans who were half-breeds. He talked to the, the most self-righteous Jews amongst them. He stood before Pontius Pilate, and he knelt with the poor prostitutes. That was Jesus. From an earthly perspective, he took on fully. He embraced discomfort. He understood that as the way to love. And we cannot separate ourselves from that. It's the discomfort of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's confounding. It doesn't necessarily make sense. It doesn't need to make sense. But this is the way Jesus set in motion. This way of suffering to bring life. Suffering to demonstrate love. And so it is for us. That's what we're called to embrace as Christ followers. A little bit of discomfort. A little bit to be uncomfortable for a moment that others might accurately catch a glimpse of the love of Christ. Jesus was uncomfortable for you and for me. Therefore, we can be uncomfortable for someone else. As I've been praying for the church over the last several weeks, I've just had this, this picture lately that reminds me of a, a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 22. It's a parable of the wedding feast. And I just see in, in this parable a banquet hall full of people, crowded People sitting on the floor, and that was the way the king wanted. If you recall the story, the story goes like this. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a king who wants to throw a grand feast, a wedding feast. So his servants go out and he invites all of the people that are closest to him. But what happens? They reject the invitation. They say, we're too busy. We're too cool. It may be later. We'll, maybe we'll get around to it if you throw a banquet, a wedding banquet later. We'll, we'll come. But not right now. The king is like, He's got this resolve in his heart. The wedding banquet hall will be full. He says, go out to the highways, the byways. Go out to the streets and compel them all to come in. No respecter of persons or class, rich or poor, high or low, compel them to come in. The wedding banquet hall will be full. 
The reason I've been praying this is because I believe God's will for the church, the Jesus church, is for every church that reflects the kingdom of God to be chock full. People sitting on the floors, not a single seat open, multiple services. Like we say, well, there's no more room. We don't have more room for the people. In a town of 70,000, we should not have open seats. When a Jesus church really begins to cling to the power of the kingdom of God, there shouldn't be an open seat in our buildings. And yet I gather with so many pastors, yeah, we may be moving to multiple services and God is doing great things, but it's just the beginning. It's just scratching the surface. As we keep our eyes on Jesus, the Jesus church will prevail. Thousands coming to know him. It's the heart of the king. And that's why as I've been praying, it's like the father just affirming me. True, just keep praying that. That is my heart. I'm not holding back. We just got to get in alignment with his kingdom and his ways. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I want to end in this way this morning. This felt compelled to bring us back to our roots as the church, as the Jesus church. As, as this morning we're embracing the discomfort of what, what it really means to follow Jesus. I wanted to read to you the heritage that we have in being Christ followers. This is the way, this is straight from Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is the way all of the founding apostles of the church, their lives were finished on this planet. It wasn't on a platform. It wasn't in luxury. They were not TBN TV preachers. They didn't have vacation homes all over the world. I want you to just Embrace this for a moment. This is our heritage. It says, Thomas preached in Parthia in India and was killed with a spear by pagan priests. Bartholomew preached in several countries. He translated the book of Matthew to India's language and he was beaten at length and crucified. Jude, brother of James, was crucified in Edessa. Luke wrote one of the gospels and also the book of Acts. He evangelized many countries and was hanged from an olive tree in Greece. Simon the Zealot preached in Mauritania, Africa, and Britain, where he was later crucified. John the Beloved planted many churches. He wrote many books of the Bible. He was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and miraculously escaped without injury. He was later exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he was the only one of the apostles who actually didn't, uh, he died of old age because he escaped a boiling oil, uh, a cauldron of boiling oil. Stephen was stoned after preaching to ones who put Jesus to death. James, John's brother, was beheaded, but not before his executioner turned his heart to Jesus, and they were both executed side by side, him and his executor. Philip preached in Asia. He was scourged and crucified. Matthew wrote a gospel, and he preached in Parthia and Ethiopia, where he was slain with a large axe. James the Lesser oversaw the churches in Jerusalem and he wrote one of the epistles. He was beaten and stoned and killed by a club at the age of 94. Matthias was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew, brother of Peter, preached in Asia and was crucified sideways. Disciples held nothing back. Mark wrote a gospel to the Greeks where he was dragged through the streets until his death. Paul wrote much of the New Testament and preached anywhere and everywhere and he was beheaded in Rome. Peter wrote two epistles, preached many places. He was later chained to a pole for six months where he watched his own wife be put to death. He was then, he was then crucified upside down. We can't distance ourselves 
from the pain and the discomfort of following Christ. That is our heritage. Those are our roots as the Jesus Church. It's discomfort for the sake of love, for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. I want us to take a moment right now to respond to Jesus. If you just close your eyes. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.